Let's have a word of prayer and ask God to be with us. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we do praise you. I praise you. I thank you for the, this worship team. Lord, the, the preaching may not be as good every Sunday, but the praise sure is. And, and I just thank you for this group because, Lord, every Sunday you work through them, you speak through them, you lift our hearts together. And for that, Lord, we give you praise. We ask right now that you would lift our hearts toward your word and toward the hearing of your word. God, give us grace to hear about grace so that we will know how to respond. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter... I'm going to start us off in in chapter 5. And we're going to be prodding some passages by Peter for an exploratory study on grace. We haven't quite finished the Holy Spirit. We'll get back to him next Sunday. Uh, But at the back of your New Testament is a set of letters. They're all by apostles, and they are called, they are labeled the general epistles. And it just so happens that all of the authors are Jesus' own inner circle of three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And in case you come from a Catholic background or Orthodox or liturgical, the Bible lets you know Peter was not the first pope. I mean, the New Testament knows nothing about a separate class of priests or cardinals or archbishops or popes. So here is how Peter portrays himself, chapter 5, in his first epistle, verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort... Who am also an elder. That's a synonym for a pastor. So, you know, really selfish Christians cannot understand grace. But Peter does. So he simply views himself as an elder among other elders. And in his next epistle, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, he is an apostle, but he also calls himself a servant. In chapter 2, verses 4 to 8, Peter says that Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built, not him. Verses 9 and 10, every saved Christian is a priest, not just certain men. And this is because, and here's our thesis for today's study, God's grace is not mediated through religious works called sacraments. God's grace is the finished work of Christ operating on your behalf as you place your faith in it. So, sacramental Christians also cannot understand grace. Because if Christianity is a sacerdotal system, that means they have sacraments and sacramentals, then you've got to have a consecrated man in order to administer grace to you. And while that was borrowed from ancient Roman religions and what the book of Revelation calls Mystery Babylon, that is not part of New Testament teaching for the church. So Paul writes his epistles during the ministry of the Apostle Paul. 2 Peter 3.16 is one of the great 3.16s of the Bible, like John 3.16. And in 2 Peter 3.16, Peter recommends Paul's epistles as sacred scripture. So Three times, uh, three terms appear multiple times here in 1 Peter. And the three terms are grace, glory, and the word of God. So let me hit you with this definition. Glory is simply grace being used as the word of God does the work in your life. So grace is glory in the bud. Glory is grace in full bloom. 
And what we can say is God always follows the word of God, doing the work of your of, of the, the work of God in your life through grace. His glory always follows His grace. So let me take you to our text because this is our first point for study. Tapping into the resources of the grace of God and the Word of God are always necessary before God is glorified. So I hope you understand the true importance of this aspect of our doctrinal study on grace. Because if the best that God can get out of your life is your body in a pew, then you don't understand grace. Say, Alan, you don't understand, I'm struggling. Well, that's because you don't understand how to tap into God's manifold grace. So where are you at with grace? You know, I find that most Americans, if you were to do a survey of the people surrounding this church in a two-mile radius, most Americans are just like the Pope and the Dalai Lama. They want a very transactional relationship with God, saying, God, if I do this, then I want you to do that. So grace is the most confusing doctrine in the world to a pagan Roman or to a Jew alike. Because it is totally non-transactional. Only the Bible teaches us how how God factors suffering and even denial into your life through grace. And my contention is there are many Bible words that we use without being clear about their Bible context, their Bible content, and their Bible definition. So I want to kind of start off this series in four or five places out of First and Second Peter, because if there was any Bible character who understood grace, it was the Apostle Peter. Peter writes to a band of struggling believers, two epistles of grace. He's writing to Christians going through struggle, suffering, difficulty, hard times. Their hard times were persecution, not pandemic. Our hard times are pandemic, not persecution. But before you throw your towel into the ring and decide not to start the next round, examine this. Look at verse 7, 1 Peter 4. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now the general epistles are placed where they are in your Bible, right after the book of Hebrews. And they are addressed, addressed to whom they are written, because they are telling you doctrinally why the end is near. Why is the end so near? Well, first, and this is letter A, these general epistles are a window on the transition from synagogue to church that took place during the book of Acts. So, so here's the dealio. Your Bible is the mind of God for humanity today. We know that it's God's words, not just from how it was inspired or inscripturated or preserved, but because every passage is just like God is. God is past, present, and future all at once. That is what makes him God. So every scripture, likewise, has past historical present inspirational or devotional application and future prophetic application. So historically, the end meant 
The coming end of the temple, the end of Jerusalem, the end of God's privileged relationship with the Jews. But second, second, this is letter B in their prophetic application. These books are a transition from the church back to the Hebrews during the time of tribulation. So these books have a future application to the tribulation period where the end of all things is at hand. And yet, you can't restrict yourself to any one application because this is the Word of God. So you can't use one application to overthrow any other application. And this is just basic Bible exegesis, uh, like what we'll talk about tonight. But third, letter C, for us, the end of all things is the rapture of the church. Look on your handout at 1 Thessalonians 4.17. There are two words I want you to circle. Watch. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Circle, underline, highlight those two words caught up because that's the word rapture right there in your Bible. We will be raptured together with them in the clouds, meaning the dead saints who are resurrected, to meet the Lord in the air, not Him coming back at the second coming, but His coming for us in the rapture of the church, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know, there are signs for the second coming, but Jesus coming to remove us, His church, His body and bride... Before the time of tribulation, that has always been any moment imminent. Time is short. So Peter is giving you instruction today for being prepared. And that preparational instruction has at its core grace. Verse 7 says, everything's about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted and keep praying. Every day you live, you get closer to that time at hand. You know, you can procrastinate on a lot of things, but you will not be late for your own funeral. I'm just saying. You say, Alan, but I jog. Well, you know what? You look good too. But when the death angel comes for you, you will keep your appointment that we all have to die once unless we're part of that last generation that gets raptured. And you know what? You can shorten your time to live, but you cannot extend it. Any way you look at it, history has an ending point for you. So Peter writes in light of the limitations on our time. He wants us to be in our right mind, verse 7, and be loving in our relationships. Watch verse 8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Fervent is like having a fever. It's like, it means intense without ceasing. And, and when he gets around to explaining the theology behind this, at the bottom line, what he wants to talk to us about is grace. How does charity hide a whole bunch of sins? Grace. And then that grace, verse nine, enables you to use hospitality one to another without grudging. So hospitality is like a hospital. It's how you care for people. And the key is not to murmur or complain about caring for other people. So grace fuels the orthopraxy behind our orthodoxy. I know you're saying, look, Alan, I can tell you're getting a degree this year because I don't even know what those words mean. Let me explain it this way. 
Grace is how you behave what you believe. Peter says, I'm going to allow my theology to inform my psychology so that it will preside over my sociology and then I know how to handle my anthropology. Watch, watch. Verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, and that's undefined in this passage, because the gift is sharing whatever God has given you by grace. Watch Romans chapter 12, verse 6. There on your handout. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us. So 1 Peter 4, verse 10 says... Everyone who is a believer born again has been gifted. Do not tell me you are incapable because then you make God a liar. There is no believer who has been excluded from these grace gifts by the Holy Ghost. But Alan, I don't think I could be involved at this church. I don't think I could do anything. I don't really think I could, I could do ministry. No, no grace. But Alan, I don't know if I could even go through discipleship, much less disciple somebody else. No, grace. You got a gift to grace. Grace makes you capable. Well, you know, Alan, I'm older and, and uh, somewhat uh, disabled. Okay, you know what? I know that you have at least the grace to be sober, to watch unto prayer, and to exercise charity among the brethren. I know you've got that much grace. So Peter postulates something that many Christians miss today, and this is our second point for study. Every believer has been given a spiritual enablement designed to serve brothers and sisters in the family of God. And the purpose of spiritual gifts, given because our time is short, is to enable you to serve with the family of God. So one reason that Christians do not know what their gifts are is because they're not making themselves available to serve. If you are never available to serve for God's plan, you will never discover your gifts. You know, we have people who say, look, well, you know, when God shows me my gift, well, then I'll get busy with it. No, since serving is the purpose of the giving, then you've got to, you've got, you'll never discover your gifts until you get busy. You've got to get busy first. You know, the family of God can be likened to a fruit bowl. Now, don't press that illustration too far. But, uh, you know, there are apples and there are oranges. There are mangoes. There's kiwi. Hello, kiwi. And they're all different. But, oh, what a delicious, nutritious bowl that they make. Verse 10 says, even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So grace negates all your excuses. Well, I don't, think I, could, I don't think I could really go to all church retreat. No, grace. Because the Holy Spirit makes a deposit of grace over which you are to act as steward. Stewardship means you own nothing and you know you own nothing. So let me answer with the definition because a steward is a manager who oversees the property of another and dispenses it at the will of the owner. Everything about us is borrowed. We live on borrowed time. We don't own it because we cannot control it, change it, or stop it. We can only use it. 
Our breath is borrowed from God. Our family is borrowed from God. The best we can do is manage everything God gives us. So good governors and good overseers are those who reflect the grace of God. In verse 10, he calls that manifold grace, which means diverse in variety. It means the type of grace you will need in any given situation. You, you, you know, you've seen a beautiful piece of art or, or flowers and you get a, you know, you get a, a church alive. You get all the colors operating together and, you know, it all looks just such a glorious sight to see. Well, God wants the collage of his grace to be glorious to the lost. Now, let me open a window on that word because we are embarking upon prom season. How many of you have had your prom already? Has anybody had prom, gone to prom already? Anybody in here? How many of you got prom coming up? You got a prom coming up? You know, when you have, have a prom and you, in, you know, you're a guy and you invite a girl to go with you, then the young man buys the young lady a corsage because he wants to show her off in public. And he gets her a corsage and it's going to more or less match what she's going to wear because he wants it to just pop. He wants to show her off. Now, he himself usually puts on a monkey suit and, and he opens the car door to serve her. But God's grace cannot be seen on his date unless every member of this church is willing to use his or her divine enablement to make it pop and to further God's purpose for eternity. So Peter says, exercise grace one to another. And benefiting the broader community comes, emerges out of that responsibility. So first we got the responsibility in each other. And, and that's why in the church, the body of Christ, well, you know, you can be black and beautiful. You can be white and wonderful. You can be Hispanic and handsome because there's manifold grace. So the first thing concerns what we do among each other in the family of God. And the question from the pulpit today is, are you a steward or are you a stealer? That word steward means you are to employ it. The James gang also translates it as chamberlain and governor. You are to engage the abilities that God has given you in grace in order to serve. God does not want any unemployed believers. So you use your training for ministry as well as for your job. And you know, many Christians today never find their calling for that one reason right there. Because God already knows they're too busy with the world and they never get around to using his gifts for the kingdom. So he doesn't bother calling them to do it. And yes, it should be used to bring profit to you, but not for that alone that is the bonus, not the purpose. The purpose is for your endowment to promote the edification, the building up, the growth of this body of believers. Or as Peter puts it, minister one to another, serve one another. Just one more, one more concept. Here, I want to suck out of verse 10, then I'll leave you alone because here's our third point for study. If you are a bad steward then you lose the benefit of God's manifold grace. You lose the reward because the benefits you want 
are a boon of His grace. They're not bestowed on you because you earned them. That's not grace. They are bestowed because we are in Christ and His Holy Spirit dispenses them according to His will as we walk in the Spirit. So the negative side of grace is how many of us are not experiencing God's work in our lives and and, and He's not giving grace because we are not dispensing grace. You know, that doesn't mean it's not available to you. Let me illustrate that irrefutable idea because God's grace is kind of like fire hydrant. How can you get so much water out of such a little plug? Well, you can do that because that little plug is connected through unseen lines to a water plant. And the water plant is what gives you an unlimited supply. So all you have to do to get fresh water is turn on the tap. In order to use more grace, you've got to give more grace because that is what turns on the tap. When you dispense grace, you take some of the gift that belongs to you. You share it with somebody else. Then if you're a quart low on grace, well, in order to be filled, God supplies more to replace what you just dispensed. Okay, let me open a window on that word. Usually, you do not buy two children uh, the same exact gift. And uh, if your family is like mine, and we had, you know, multiple kids that were only a few years apart and, you know, living on a pastor's pay, we had to maximize the economics. So what we did was we bought different gifts for each of the girls, but then we got maximum utilization of both gifts by invoking the parental prerogative, share. So you get them two different gifts, and then you say, sharing is caring. Now, every parent knows there are potential problems with that because, you know, the attitude of a child is, no, this is is my gift. Uh, And because of that, parents often degenerate on Christmas Day into MMA referees. So, So, yes, this is your gift. But it is your gift in the context of the family. And so here's our fourth point for study. You are not the only child in God's family. And that is why you have to be a good steward of the gifts which you do receive. So while you're the primary beneficiary, it was given for the intention that all could play with it. Suppose you come home from school. Your child, you come home from school and you say, Daddy, I want a snack. And your dad says, no, this is my food. I bought this food. If you want to eat, you go get your own job and you buy your own groceries. Now, I do not think that that child would appreciate a non-sharing attitude if it came from their father. And yet, that is exactly what we do with our daddy's grace. We hold back on other believers. So the reason you do not get fresh oil is because you've not yet dispensed old grace. And since we've not been a good steward, like a steward on a ship or a steward on an airplane, and serve the grace that has been supplied, well then grace is not needed or supplied to us. So what does being a steward of God's grace mean? This is our fifth point for study. Grace is not given to you as a container. It is given to you as a dispenser. Grace enables you to bring glory to God through your service to God 
And how many Christians today, how many of you have received grace gifts which you've not used and in effect refused or you do not share in the body? You know, we haven't talked about spiritual gifts in a while, so let me point out to you that Peter gives us two classifications of spiritual gifts right here in verse 11. If any man speak, there's speaking gifts. If any man minister, there's serving gifts. And in each case, spiritual enablement must be exercised with desperate dependence on God. Why? Because it is necessary for good stewardship. So watch. Verse 11, if any man speak, here's how we do that desperate dependence thing and exercise grace gracefully. We speak as the oracles of God. Now stop. In Romans chapter 3, verse 2, that phrase, oracles of God, is used as a synonym for the words of God. So when you speak, in order to steward God's grace and minister God's grace to the hearer, you have to speak what is said in Scripture. That is why biblical authority is so important. That is why we believe the King James Bible is so important. I mean, other versions and translations, they give you the opinions of the scholars as to their interpretations of God's words based upon... A reconstruction of an unreconstructable original. So they become the final authority, sitting in judgment on God's words instead of God's word being the final authority. But not only do I have the word of God, capital W, Jesus, and the word of God, small w, the Bible, I also have the words of God, plural, in English because I have scripture, don't you? So when you speak... Do it with a faithful commitment to the oracles, the words of God in your Bible, because God only blesses his own truth, his preserved words. He does not bless what you say. He blesses what he says. So verse 11, if any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. You know, some of you, God has gifted you in areas of administration or helps and you got the ability to coordinate volunteers and manage, manage progress, uh, projects. you got this knack for pulling things off. And you put that on a resume. You peddle that to an employer in order so you can get a price. Uh, you unwrap God's gift. You use it for your own benefit very easily. And yet every aspect of what we do on Sundays requires logistication. And I love that word because I just made it up. It won't fit in Wordle, but it's still a good word, logistication. You have certain God-ordained abilities, but you are burning them out for the man in exchange for a retirement plan and benefit package. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's everything wrong if God cannot get hold of your gifts. There is everything wrong since time is so short. If we do not benefit from that gift... If God cannot use it for the building up of his body, this body, then that is being a thief of God's grace. Use it rather, verse 11 says, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion. Don't forget the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Has God's grace gift died with you? Has his praise 
died with you? Does his dominion die with you because you deny his kingdom prerogative? Why are we not grabbing God's grace by faith and using it in his purpose for eternity? So God gives within the collection of believers all the divine abilities to pull off God's program, even against opposition, even when we are right at the end. And the primary purpose they're given is to serve God's purpose in the accomplishing of God's plan. So the last thing Peter states in verse 11 is speak and serve from the ability, might, and power God provides. Because here's our sixth point for study. You can only successfully serve God if you're doing it by the strength he supplies. Now, many of us are serving, but not in God's strength. And that is why we are cumbered about our serving. We are burned out. We are like Martha and not Mary. We are cumbered about much serving because the Holy Spirit's not being relied on for us to serve by grace. We're just living by our own strength. But God gives manifold grace, grace for every task, every opposition, every obstacle you may face. Because in the final analysis, and let me just hit you with this definition, glorifying God means putting his grace on display. You are showing off God by grace. That is why your gifts have to be used in the context of a local body of believers. So when the compiling of all those gifts comes together, God is shown off in a manifold, glorious way. We had a deacon who died. It was an awful death because he died in a stoning pit. And he looked up at mean faces and trembling hands. And they were holding stones with which they were going to break his bones and tear his body apart. I mean, it was an awful experience. But he said that he saw then what he had never seen before. He saw what you cannot see when the weather is fair. I mean, he saw what bright days will never show you. He saw what calm seas will never reveal to you. Because Acts 7 verse 55 says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He saw in the stoning pit the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing to receive him. Now, I know the Bible says Jesus sits at the right hand of majesty on high, but in the stoning pit, Stephen saw Jesus standing on tiptoe. And the purpose of you serving God in this church is not to get the crowd to stand for you. The purpose for you serving is getting Jesus to stand. Have you served him that well yet, steward? 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 and 2 say, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, faithful of the mysteries revealed in the word of God. What a great executive you are. What a great homemaker. But if Jesus doesn't clap, you're a bitter failure. That is why we must minister his grace and do it this year. We don't know how short time is. 
Are you using your talents, your energies, your skills, your resources, not just for your personal benefit, but in ministry serving God? Those gifts are yours to use. Give him glory because they belong to him. You say, but Alan, okay, how do I do that? This is our final point for study. You return glory to God with your life by the service you render, depending on his grace, in the family of God, for the purpose of his plan. You can make Jesus stand up today. You know, Jesus says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you ready to repent today? I mean, I just really felt like Sunday after Easter, we need to talk about this. I I don't want to waste, I don't want to squander away what God's given us. I don't want us to lose the visitors who came. I want them to know they can be a part of what we are doing here. And it is not insignificant. We are called upon to be sober, watch unto prayer, and exercise charity toward each other. But if you're here today and you're not yet saved, you're not born again, you're not a believer, a Christian by being born again, all of heaven will rejoice. Because it glorifies Christ for you to trust in his finished work on the cross and nothing else in order to save you. It glorifies Jesus if you will just trust him today for what he promises you, which is everlasting life. And that's not just life after death. We all want that. No, it is eternal life that starts right now and then lasts forever, everlasting. So just pray right now and say, Jesus, I trust you today for everlasting life. I do. I didn't know I was going to do this before I got here today. But Lord, I trust you. Lord, maybe there have been many Sundays I, I have sat here and I've contemplated But today, I want to do what I believe so that I can receive. God, make me born again today in Jesus' name. Because if you give Jesus your life, he will give you his life. And the Holy Spirit will fill you as you get into his word. And then as you trust his word, grace is activated by your faith. And God's word will begin doing a work in your life, a work that you cannot do. And that'll carry you into God's purpose for you in eternity. Go ahead and stand if you would. You know, if you prayed that today, if you prayed to trust Jesus for eternal life today, uh, break through the insularity. You know, break through that cocoon that the devil wants to make you think is surrounding you that you cannot get out of and just excuse yourself from the aisle that you're in and come here to the front and tell us let us know meet me or one of the other altar counselors here we have at the front if if your man come up to one of the men if your lady come up to one of the ladies let us know that you prayed that today i want them to give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers And if you're here and you attend here and you're getting fed here, well, you ought to be a member here. 
You're not a member just because you attend. You're not a member or even because you filled out a visitor card. We don't somehow under the table make you a member without you knowing it. Uh, even if you give, you're not automatically a member. You've got to come up and let us know you want to be a member of this body of believers. Maybe you saw the baptisms today. You thought, man, i got to do that. I mean, I know I've trusted Jesus for eternal life, but I, I, I mean, I've never done that. Come up and let us know so the next time we do baptisms, you can be included. Next Sunday, we're back to our series on the Holy Spirit. Invite somebody to come with you so they do not miss out. Tonight, we'll have our last discovery in Psalm 119 before we break for the summer. Kids will have their Awana Bible Club. Father, today I thank you, Lord, your great mercies to us. I thank you, Lord, that your love for us is not transactional. It's unconditional. You displayed it on the cross before, before we could ever do anything. The word of God says, the oracles of God say in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, you commended, you showed your love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The godly for the ungodly, the Christ for the criminal. Lord, I was the criminal. Lord, I was the criminal. Thank you for saving me when I put my trust in Jesus. Lord, be with us to get many more under the sound of that gospel good news so they can get saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.